You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. They promise you unity, and we all know that's not happening. But they also promise you normalcy. Now, the second one should be easier. The second one should be a more straightforward uh, ask and, and a, a deliverable that they should be able to make happen. And it's not happening at all, as you know. If you want examples of this, just look at our nation's capital right now. It's it's absurd. It's beyond uh, crazy that they have enormous fencing and barbed wire and National Guard troops deployed all over D.C. Nothing happened on Biden's inauguration. Nothing has happened since then. Everyone is just going about their lives now, still under lockdown, still dealing with all these stupid policies. But we accept that this is what happened. Now, the Democrats never accepted that Trump really won. They used the media and their deep state operatives to pretend that there was a Russia collusion uh, narrative in 2016 for four years. They pretended that. And you can see now, no, all right, we're in the Biden era. We, we have made this transition. But they haven't, the Biden voters and the Democrat apparatus and the elites around them, they have not made the transition to, let's try to make things calm down a little bit. Let's, let's try to be normal. That was really a big selling point, right? They they were telling you all the time that Donald Trump was so evil and so disruptive and and such a uh, such a volatile force in American politics that Joe Biden would re- would return us to a semblance of normalcy. This is a word they used a lot. Do you feel all that normalcy now? Executive orders all over the place on far left issues. The Green New Deal now being push through. They're not calling it that, but they're just pushing Green New Deal policies with the executive branch. People losing their jobs, getting fired from them because of the lunatic belief that Democrats have. It's a religious belief for them that the world is going to end unless we take some blue collar workers and say you're not allowed to build a pipeline anymore. Yeah, that's really going to show them China and India are going to fall right in line any moment now, by the way. They're going to do exactly what all the fancy bureaucrats in Europe tell them they should do about climate change. Sure they are. But if you want an example of just how abnormal things are going to continue to be, as I mentioned, you can look at what's going on in D.C. You can look and see how it's prepared for an invasion any moment. Oh, another another Trump coup. They're saying, look, this is getting very tiresome. It's a lie to say that what happened on January 6th was a coup. It was a riot. It was bad. It was dumb. There was no serious effort, nor would any serious person say there was. To overthrow the United States Congress, the United States government and seize power, that's crazy. But it's a useful lie because it justifies then all the repressive measures we see. How can we talk about normalcy now in an era where big tech has decided that there are just some points of view you're not allowed to share? about critical policy issues. I mean, there, there are things that really matter right now, and you can't talk about it unless you want to be deplatformed. And remember, we're not allowed to gather together. So technology is increasingly our only mechanism of discussion, certainly your only way to reach a, a broad audience. Because we're not BLM rioters, so we're not encouraged to go out in the streets in huge numbers while there's a pandemic going on. No, we wouldn't be allowed to do that. So you're relying on big tech. It's stay home 
and and stick to the approved narrative. This is normal to people. And the journos are cheering this on. I mean, they, they are the biggest enemies of free speech in existence. They're the ones that we have to be the most concerned about right now, because for them, it's both an ideological imperative to destroy their opponents. However, they have to. It doesn't matter. They don't want there to be balance in the media ecosystem. They don't want conservative voices to have equal time or equal footing or any footing for that matter. And it's also a competitive advantage for them. They like this because they'll be making more money. Trust me, at CNN right now and, and, at, and at other, particularly for TV journalism, in the absence of Trump as the great boogeyman, what, what do they have to tell you about? What do they have to say? Not very much. There are people who built entire careers on going on TV and calling Trump an evil monster, you know, doo-doo head. I mean, calling him all kinds of childish names. You know, that's what people actually built careers on in the news industry. Now, what do they do? Well, what do they do? Oh, we don't know. They're still trying to figure it out. Oh, well, now they've had to create that animus, that rage that was directed at Trump. Normal has now become directing that at Trump voters. You see, we're all complicit. We're, we're all the ones that caused this situation, that caused this circumstance. And if you want an example of this, uh, there's one in the Washington Examiner. They published. Now, this is an opinion column. So this was on their op ed page. How to fix our domestic terrorist problem. Now, this is written by a fellow who's uh, named, named Kevin Carroll who says here that he worked at as a CIA and army officer in Iraq and Afghanistan, counselor to the secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, you know, this this guy is, is trying to wave around these credentials. So you'll think that he's not a moron. But I can tell you from reading his editorial, he's a moron. I don't care where he worked. I don't care where he served. I don't care what he did. He's not smart, not smart. And as I've been telling you all along, I mean, the, the CIA brand is, is effectively now it's, it's been turned into a big joke. I mean, the CIA is is now laughable. I mean, how how could it not be? You got people like John Brennan running the place. So you think that showing up and, and working for the CIA is going to impress anybody? Let me tell you, uh, I, I know firsthand it does not. Nobody cares anymore. But here's what this guy says. I mean, it, some of it is is pretty standard. This got a lot of attention, though, because of just how crazy it is and that there's somebody who's clearly an institutionalist who's waving around his resume. Listen to me. I'm smart and I love my country and I worked hard and I did all these things. But, does, but th that doesn't change the fact that the ideas are crazy. Right? There are plenty of people who have, a, have the things on their resume that we're all supposed to believe somehow makes them worth listening to, but that's not the case. I think we've all started to figure that out. Now, more than ever, these institutions that churn people out, they don't really mean anything. There are a lot of reasons they hire people, a lot of reasons they fire people, a lot of a lot of stuff that goes into it that has nothing to do with merit. And here we go. First, he writes, bring the heaviest felony charge on as many participants in the insurrection. The insurrection, of course, it's not an insurrection, you jackass. Uh, I, and believe it can confidently convict. We ruthlessly hunted down foreign terrorists after September 11th and must do the same to their domestic equivalents. This guy's straight up comparing uh, people on Capitol Hill on January 6th to Al Qaeda terrorists who deploy suicide bombers into crowded markets, who drive planes full of, of civilians into buildings full of civilians and kill thousands of people in one day. 
This this is what we this is now what what are what the intellectual class supposedly the intellectual class presents to you for what how we're supposed to view what happened on January 6th. And I know you could say, Buck, this is crazy. Who would really believe this? Democrats, whether they believe it or not, they're pretending that it's accurate. They're going to go forward and use this as a justification, which is what I told people as soon as this thing was happening. I said, this is a nightmare. And I had some very dumb conservatives come after me on that day and say, you don't understand how important it is that we speak out. No, 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 no. Now you see with the Kevin Carroll's of the world, with the barbed wire all over D.C., with the fencing up with the thousands of soldiers, you see how Democrats are exploiting a riot of idiocy. And now they're targeting you. They're targeting everybody. You step in a line, you get fired from your job. You say the wrong thing on social media, you get banned forever. You start talking to people about how you think there was fraud or you think there whatever it may be. You know, they they want to sick the FBI on you. Oh, maybe you're one of those QAnon terrorists or something. This is what they're doing. They're telling you it right now. How's all that normalcy feel? So so we don't have unity. That's for sure. But could we have normalcy? The answer is no. We can't have normalcy either. Second, this guy writes Kevin. I mean, honestly, the, the most the most astonishingly stupid editorial I've read in a very long time. And the Washington Examiner publishing it. Part of me wants to get angry at them, but also, no, I think we should we should understand how somebody who's supposed to have a a resume that we respect and is impressive and everything could write something so dumb because this is a widespread belief among Democrats. Now, they really think that the January 6th riot was the somehow the equivalent in some way of the September 11th attacks. They keep comparing them. Uh, Second, make fire and police departments have their members sign commitments not to engage in acts to overthrow the government. This guy is a it's this guy's a moron. I mean, honestly, really, really stupid. But this is what he's writing. This guy was senior counsel. What is a senior counsel? The secretary of Homeland Security. He's jackass. Third, do not worry about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Ban extremist chatter through government censorship or private deplatforming and use radical chat rooms as honeypots. So the, J- the FBI JTTF uh, has done the same way that it's done against radical Islamists since 2001. We need to draw out our fellow citizens who are willing to attack our nation. Yeah, he wants surveillance on, on everybody who. What is it? Is a, is a Trump supporter? I mean, what are the what are the boundaries here? What are the limitations? And uh, it's it's insane. And, and he's all for deplatforming, of course, deplatform people, deplatform people like me for things like questioning why schools are shut down, because that was that was against the consensus. Right. That was against the I was right, though, and they were wrong. But maybe they should have deplatformed me for that, because that at one point in time was considered heretical. Fourth, use the supremacy of federal law to ban militias beyond the National Guard. There's simply no longer any room. I mean, honestly, man, this guy just spends way too much time watching Rachel Maddow. And fifth, add domestic terrorism as a predicate to the material support for terrorism statute, including its civil liability provisions. This is the line you really or the, the part you really need to know. Um, 
I woke up as like, oh, sorry. I woke up in my Manhattan apartment as a Wall Street law firm associate on September 12, 2001, worrying about how we could stop the next attack. I woke up as a combat veteran in my suburban Washington, D.C. house on January 7, 2021, equally worried. But I also remember what helped America last time. We defeated Al Qaeda and can do the same to the fascist thugs who attacked our democracy last month. But only if we take similarly hard measures against the enemy within. Signed, Kevin Carroll, senior, former senior counselor to the Secretary of Homeland Security and CIA officer. Um, drone strikes? I just want to know. Drone strikes against uh, the Chewbacca guy from the January 6th riot? What, what, what are we calling for here? What are we going to use? Are we going to waterboard your fellow Americans? What's, what's really the game plan here? I'm just just wondering, just putting this out there. And what about all the BLM riots? What about the attacks on federal buildings? What about the the assaults on police officers, the assassinations of police officers? All in the name of BLM and Antifa. What about that? Is that no, that's not covered under domestic terror. No, no, that's fine. That's actually just you know free expression of ideas. Now, people like Mr. Carroll are a cancer within the American commentariat. But they're representative of a much broader feeling. And you need to understand that this now is what they think is normal. Their hysteria, they're, oh my gosh, they're the Trump voters. Their hysteria is the dominant view on, among Democrats now about what they're up against with Trump voters and how there have to be extreme measures taken. And yeah, does this feel, does this feel normal to you? All the promises of the of the Biden administration fell apart within a week of him taking office. And when I mean the promises, I mean the 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 way it was all presented as things were going to go back. We're going to beat the pandemic. Things are going to go back to normal and all the Trump craziness would end. No, that's not what's happening at all. Now, the lunatics who relied on the Russia collusion narrative want payback and they're in power. And they want to treat you like a domestic terrorist if you say the wrong thing. This is what normal looks like now. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Well, I hope not, uh, Wolf, but it is conceivable that things could get a little worse. What we're starting to see, which is a good sign, is that we're starting to see a plateauing of the numbers of cases, which will always be followed by a diminution and a plateauing, and then ultimately a diminution of hospitalizations as well as deaths. But still, even if it plateaus and starts to come down, we're still at a very high disturbing level. But hopefully we'll continue to see a downtrend. I don't know why anyone listens to Dr. Fauci. If you're smart, if you're able to discern between things worth hearing and things not, you you would just ignore this guy at this point. It could get worse. It could get a little better than a little worse than a little more worse than a little more better. And I think people are understanding more and more that uh, the the truth of of, of this whole situation is that they're not going to let this go. They're not going to let us move on. This is not just going away. I don't just mean COVID in general. I, I mean their control, their desire to tell you what you can do. Here's the truth. You need to know now. You need to set your mind to it. And please go to BuckSexton.com. I've got a piece up on this right now. Don't ever forget that lockdowns have failed. 
and that a lot of powerful people owe millions of Americans an apology. Don't ever forget that. They want you to forget it. Uh, They're going to try to convince you that what they did was really smart and saved a lot of lives and everything. It's just not true. There's no way they can. There's no evidence they can present. There's no data to prove that these measures have worked. And let me be very clear, because I've had people reaching out to me and saying, well, what about what about lockdowns in countries like Australia? Okay, let's take Australia, for example. First of all, I'm saying our lockdown didn't work. I'm not saying it's impossible. Yes. If you got everyone to stay home for an extended period of time and you're an island nation with one twentieth the population of America, one thirtieth the population density of America, and you were an island and could shut off global traffic easily, maybe it maybe you'd have a shot with extreme measures to do what they said could be done in this country with lockdowns. We had no shot of doing this and everybody knew it. It was never going to happen. Too big, too dense, too many people coming and going and too many holes in the lockdown strategy. Don't you see they tell you lockdowns work and you say, well, how can it work when you still have, you know, people going to going to the store and going to big box stores and 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 congregating in private settings because they have to see other human beings. And, you know, there this wasn't actually ever a real lockdown. It was all the downside. Shut down the businesses, do annoying things that are are minimally Minimally changing the trajectory for a short time, uh, the virus. One percent of cases in New York City for restaurants, what they said. And then leaving open all the main modes of transmission anyway. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. So what the CDC says right now, as you mentioned correctly, the most important thing is everybody should wear a mask. We don't have enough data yet, and the CDC will be collecting this as to whether or not two masks are going to be better than one mask. But, you know, if you use common sense and say, until we get the data, if a physical barrier with one mask works, it makes common sense that two layers or three layers, and you should have a double layer mask and one mask anyway. But if you want to put an extra mask on, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's no data to support it. But notice how he says not enough data. Last week, he said no data. But now it's not enough because that leaves open the possibility that maybe there is some data, but he doesn't want to say. So now we're back to, you know, you want a double mask, double mask. Why not triple mask, Fouch? You know, people people say, oh, that don't don't be silly. Really? They're saying double mask now. And that was considered a silly point to bring up six months ago when people like me were saying they're going to tell you that. You started to see people that had the that had a mask and a visor on, you know, the the sort of the uh, the face shield plus a mask, maybe two masks and a face shield that that's totally, totally normal behavior. Right. I mean, we should all be expected to do these these insane things. Um, It's it's really troubling to see how how much uh, the American people have been willing to just be led like sheep around on this whole thing. Just ask the basic questions. Of people like Fauci, I, I, I love this because I keep bringing it up, knowing that nobody has a good answer for me. So we're OK with Fauci lying to the public because he thinks that we're, we can't be trusted with the truth, because that's what he did initially about masks. We just that's that's a public health official. He lies to you. So, you know, if he if he if he had said 
guys, don't get the vaccine right now. We're not sure it's safe because they were running low on vaccine. Would that be OK? How would you feel if, you know, you had a, a loved one who was at high risk who waited on the vaccine because Fauci lied because he didn't want us to run out? That's what he did on masks. That is exactly what he did on masks. But no accountability for that whatsoever. Like I said, don't ever forget that lockdowns failed, that Fauci is a feckless bureaucrat. And if you go to BuckSexton.com right now, the main story there is an editorial I've written where I just it's it's quick. It's to the point. Just says, look, look at the main argument. Look at the data here. And the data tells a very clear story. They failed. They failed. We went through all this misery and all this stuff, all these lockdowns and businesses closed and and millions and millions of people's lives ruined. And for what? For what? Oh, well, they say it would have been worse. Yeah. That's a take a look at those numbers in January and December for places like California. California has been under a mask mandate for six, seven, eight months at that point. And and where, where was the the slowing of the spread that was supposed to it was like wildfire all over California. But, you know, worked really well. That's what they'll tell you. Worked really well. OK, fine. And we know that's not true. And here's the other problem. And this is this is the part of it that I, I get into this at BuckSaxon.com in the editorial is that they're going to drag this misery out as long as they can. Uh, no matter how many people get vaccinated and how low hospitalizations fall, there's a large segment of the Fauci worshipers that are going to demand masking and social distancing for the rest of 2021, at least just to be safe. Just to be safe. And as we all know, that zero risk tolerance is is completely is completely insane for society to have. But that's what we're being forced into. Um and if you're wondering why I'm so confident that we're going to have to we're going to have to start to come together and put pressure on politicians in different states to say you can't keep locking people away from each other because a, a small percentage of the population, even with vaccines out there and everything else, is still going to be at risk. You can't do it. It's not right. All right. This is the conversation. This is the adult conversation we should have been having from the beginning, but. They weren't weren't willing to because there are people saying you just want grandma and grandpa to die. All the demagoguery and stupidity and the incentives for creating a mass panic in the country because Donald Trump was president and they wanted to beat Donald Trump. If you make everybody miserable and terrified, it's a lot easier to convince them that they should do anything. They should support anyone other than whomever is in power at that point in time. And it worked. But how do I know they're going to continue to extend this? Well, here's here's Fauci telling you that uh, even the the vaccine, I'm sorry, even previous infection may not protect you against these new the the South African variant. Play 12. Well, the variants, for example, particularly the South African variants is, is obviously here. We know that there have been a couple of cases in South Carolina and one in Maryland. It is certainly not. The dominant strain. But if it becomes dominant, the experience of our colleagues in South Africa indicate that even if you've been infected with the original virus, that there is a very high rate of reinfection to the point where previous infection does not seem to protect you against reinfection, at least with the South African variant. 
So if there are variants of COVID for which naturally, naturally derived immunity from your immune system beating it, uh, you have no immunity going forward against, which is what he's suggesting here. What does that mean for the actual vaccines? Anybody want to take a guess? We either take our lives back or we let Fauci run the rest of your existence. That's what we're going to be faced with at some point. We either say enough is enough. We deal with the flu every year. We deal with, you know, life is imperfect. Um, There are risks. It's the way it is. At some point, we're going to get we're going to get there. Or we have Fauci, you know, every every three to six months on TV. You know, we got another variant. Could be. I think we're going to have to do more mitigation and more more measures. And uh, we don't have vaccine for everyone. And this is where it's all heading. This is what we've been seeing all along. That they keep moving the goalposts. They keep adding in the possibility. Oh, there's a possibility of something bad happening. And so therefore we all have to uh, act like we must listen again to the great Fauci and, and the rest of the people around him. Uh, the, you know, the, the disciples of Fauci, as I call them, who will listen to this guy no matter what he says. I mean, if Fauci said, you know, protect yourself with a plastic bag over your head and tie it real tight, you know, it might be hard to breathe, but it, but it will stop. You know, it's an impermeable barrier that'll stop. Vib- a lot of people start putting plastic bags over their heads, which is dangerous. Don't do that. But, you know, this is what people are going to do. If Dr. Fauci says it, We have a society now where there's so much mass hysteria and just honestly so much institutionalized fear and unwillingness to think for oneself and to come to basic conclusions about what you're seeing around you. And it's amazing to be all this, these hyper anxious people. Oh, my gosh, I saw somebody without a mask for a second. I'm so scared. What is wrong with them? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. What's it? We, we've created this perception society that, you know, if, if only we listen to the experts and you know, we're all going to die. Some of us understand that. Some of us have been in situations where we've thought before I, I might actually die being here or dealing with this. Some of you listening have certainly been there, whether it's from illness or being in combat or or being in a you know car crash or whatever it may be. You've experienced that thought of I might actually die here. And we understand that you go through every day with a possibility that it could be your last. But time is time is one thing you have. You'll never get back. And I just wonder how much of your life are you willing to spend in misery and isolation and separation from your fellow human beings because of the Fauci's of the world? And for those of you who are saying, oh, Buck, it's not that bad in my neighborhood. Yeah. You want to try to do some international travel these days? Want to go uh, you know, visit whatever whatever country your ancestors are from? Good luck with that. There are all kinds of restrictions in place. And you don't think the Biden administration is coming up with more stuff that they want to do? More reasons for you to have to obey? They're moving on climate change stuff. They're acting like there's a climate emergency right now. They haven't even gotten checks. They haven't gotten a stimulus pass. They haven't done the things they've said they will do for the American people. None of that's happened, but they're worried about climate change. Oh, okay. So we, we could look at that and, and understand that these people are. Um, I, I can't say that they're they're intellectually unserious, but as authoritarians, they're very serious about this. Um, they, they have all kinds of ways that 
we have to understand uh, they will continue to inflict themselves upon us. And finally, I think, though, now, because the, the results are in, you know, and I keep pointing out the Florida, New York, California comparison, because the results are in, people who are open-minded and do think for themselves are going to realize they're on very firm ground to say the, the Fauciites are jackasses, they were wrong, and we got to we got to stop listening to them. They have to stop being in charge of everyone. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Well, well, John, if this isn't the siren song for my fellow New Yorkers, I, I don't know what is. And in my opinion, the governor needs to think about stepping aside. Look at the totality. We had this nursing home order expose uh, last week by the attorney general. The cover up was exposed. Now we have the evidence that he sidelined his own health department on the vaccine rollout in favor of the Greater New York Hospital Association, which, for those that don't know, is one of Albany's biggest lobbying groups, one of his biggest donor groups. And, and then again, the, the totality, all this while whether whether it's uh, you know vaccines or deaths or the state's budget deficit, the economy, unemployment, this is a governor who has led the worst response in the United States of America. I, I think it's time for him to, to really think about uh, you know heading down the thruway one final time. My friend Joe Borelli, who's a city councilman in New York, and you've heard on this show many times in the past, uh, just just speaking the truth about the governor of New York, and and there's a reason. Look, look at the recall campaign against Gavin Newsom. Look at these Democrats in big states who now that people see what has happened, now that people are feeling the pain of the decisions that are made and how they didn't save them from covid, they they made everything worse. That that's ultimately the assessment you should come to here, whether it's Gavin Newsom or Governor Cuomo, Governor Newsom or Cuomo, same thing. They they made everything worse without any real benefit whatsoever. And they were smug. They were arrogant about all of it, too. But the MSNBC watchers out there were all clapping for it. Yeah, the science. Yeah, we believe in science. And then they want males to compete in female sports. And we'll see what happens there. What is even the justification for this? I never even they don't even bring it up. You're just it's just supposed to happen because equality or something. But back to the uh, the Cuomo saga. You had nine New York Times because there's so little Trump bashing to really do right now. They've got to do occasional journalism. And they're also going to look for people to blame for some of this. They're going to have to throw some Democrats under the bus. That has to happen here. They have to sacrifice some Democrats to protect the rest of the Democrat Party narrative here that they were so good in dealing with covid. You know, Biden's 100 days of masking was really, really smart. You got nine uh, top New York health officials, according to New York Times, quit. As Cuomo scorns expertise. When I say experts in air quotes, it sounds like I'm saying I don't really trust the experts. Governor Andrew Cuomo said of his pandemic policies because I don't. Yeah, this is the guy who is holding these uh, these sessions like the king bringing in everybody to his court to entertain him, right? He's, oh, let me tell you what I'm doing today with the vaccine. We have charts. We're listening to science. We're going to do a great job. And if you don't listen to me, you want old people to die. That's Governor Cuomo. And this guy's a nightmare. Anybody who knows anything about New York politics uh, will tell you that Governor, I mean, that, that Andrew Cuomo has a reputation for being thin-skinned, vindictive, vicious, and basically just a really a bad person. 
He's a bad person. Okay, so you start with that. That's his reputation, broad reputation. Did you get any of that from Democrats back in April and May when he was holding those, you know, every day we're going to have a press conference. We're going to have a thing about, we're going to talk about the data. Listen to me. It's about the data, the numbers. The people around him were, who are the actual, quote, experts on dealing with pandemic, uh, pandemic disease and other issues, those people have been fleeing from him because he overrides them, because he is impossible to deal with, and because uh, he's a nightmare, basically. And remember, the media made this guy into a hero. The media pretended that Cuomo was said, remember, he was he was maybe going to be the Democrat nominee for president at the last moment. But nine senior health health officials have all left Cuomo because uh, he is terrible. And now with the New York State Attorney General, Leticia James, who, by the way, I think she's got the governor's chair in her sights. So this is this is a twofer. This is great for her. Gets to look like the champion of the people here, the AG for New York State. And also maybe clear out a little uh, clear out a little headroom, clear out a little space for the next move. Because Cuomo's nursing home order, as much as he's been trying to suppress this and fight it, was the single that that's the one decision you can point to from any leader in this country that seemed to have the single most direct effect on the spread of covid to the highest vulnerability populations, seniors in nursing homes. And resulted in we, we can't know the exact number, but resulted in a large number of people losing their lives because of Cuomo stupidity. That's where we are. That's the truth. So we should all at least be willing to look at that and understand it for what it is. Um, but notice how things are starting to change now that we are, have more results, more time. The timeline has been extended, more data, more information. Democrats didn't have some great plan to handle this. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. It was all Trump's fault, right? It was all Trump's fault. Now that Trump's gone, everyone's looking around saying, wait a second. Why is anything better now? How is this an improvement over what we had before? While they're signing executive orders over the Green New Deal and basically, you know, kicking open the border. You got caravans making their way. They've got these executive orders on amnesty that are that are in progress right now. I mean, all this stuff. Oh, yeah, these these are the technocrats. These Democrats get stuff done. They're all about results. Yeah, if results means putting the government in charge of even more of your life and mainstreaming the worst kinds of incompetence like we saw from Cuomo. Sure, those are results. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Harsanyi time. It's our friend David Harsanyi from National Review. He's a senior writer at National Review. Does a lot of great pieces over there, and we're always appreciative to have him join us. David, good to see you. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, I've been talking about normalcy today and how the new normal is apparently uh, treating your political opponents like members of the most vicious totalitarian terrorist organization of modern life, you know, Al-Qaeda. It means signing a whole bunch of executive orders that are right in line with the far left wing agenda of the Democrat Party, the, the furthest left members, things like the Green New Deal, uh, and also results on covid where everyone looks around and says, hold on a second. 
So you guys, you Democrats didn't actually have some great plan here. They, they, they weren't the, the smartest people in the room ready to fix everything. What are you making of all this? Yeah, I mean, we learned quite quickly that Biden had no real uh, plan, you know, to, to change the trajectory of, uh, of COVID. And in fact, he said, I have no plan to change the trajectory of COVID in the next few months. He said that a few days ago. Meanwhile, when you look back at the campaign literature, he literally uses the word trajectory and how he was going to change it and how only Democrats can change it. So there is no plan. He tried to pretend that he had some sort of special vaccine distribution uh, you know, plan, which was the same as the Trump plan. Essentially, his plan is the Trump plan. There is nothing there that we haven't been doing other than him signing some executive orders that, you know, pressure governors to engage and to adopt mask wearing policies that almost all of them do, including in the one he signed on federal buildings. None of this is new. Um, obviously, Fauci is now talking about two masks and so on. But I mean, there's really nothing new here. So um, and as you mentioned, he's adopted all these far left wing ideas without any consensus you know, joining the Paris Accords without going to the Senate, as Obama did. Um, he's ruling by fiat, and uh, that did not work out for Obama. He might have been personally popular, but he lost 900 seats. And if Biden goes this way, I think that the Republicans are going to have a good chance of winning back the Senate and the House, and we'll be back to where we were before Trump. I, I do think that there's a, perhaps not necessarily a, a widespread buyer's remorse yet among among Democrats, but for any independents out there, for any people who are among the persuadables who believed, because because I, I still think to this day that one of the the most potent narratives for Biden's for Biden's election win was that Donald Trump was it's not that Trump didn't do a great job leading us during covid, but that he was actually somehow personally responsible for a large amount of the covid deaths. This was the media story. I mean, they, they would say this. I played the clips on this show many times night after night. It was. You know, because of Trump's example, people are dying because of what Trump. And now we look all over the world and this thing has just been devastating for whether it's countries in Europe, China, Brazil has had a horrible time with this. Countries all over the world of similar population and density have been crushed by this thing. So I guess it wasn't all Trump's fault, David. And, and I think that some people might just be waking up to that. Yeah, I mean, listen, Trump bears some responsibility in the way he handled it, because a lot of it, as we saw with Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, is how you present yourself, right? So Cuomo was the worst governor in, in the country. He he made the biggest mistake in coronavirus. And yet, you know, he was lauded. Yet he wrote a book. Yet he was on national TV. Yet he, you know, won an Emmy. Uh, where Trump, who I think did a better job than Cuomo in general, though there's only so much power the president has, was, you know, Personally, I mean, Biden said he was personally responsible for these deaths, whereas the variation on, on fatality rates in Western countries is essentially, you know, they're they're not the same, but they're in the same ballpark because of, you know, other other forces. As you mentioned, uh, the, the, the virus doesn't care about if you're socialist, if you're socialized medicine, if you're free, if you're capitalistic society it does not care. And the idea that we were going to somehow contain this in the way that they hoped outside of trying to not overwhelm hospitals has been a joke. As we see with Sweden now, whose numbers are better than places like Belgium and the U and basically the same as the UK, which has consistently had lockdowns and Sweden didn't have any really. Right. Well, and, and I've, as I've been telling everybody, the way the whole debate has been set up in, in a way that's 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 false because it's either a lockdown. That's a real I mean, a real lockdown is people cannot leave their homes for a period of time. You cannot, you know, you cannot go to other households. 
you have extreme limitations. They did this in Italy. They've done this in other places for a period of time where you can you can't leave town. You can't travel and, and you can only go to the store to get food and you can you know only go to the, the drugstore to get medicine. That's it. Right. That's we never really did that. So what we've had is, well, let's shut down restaurants and bars and some places. But all this other stuff. You know, people are still going in essential workers and grocery stores and big buy. That's all still happening. And so the virus is spreading in those places like we, we we've we've been led to believe that we were doing what other places that have had some success dealing with this, like uh, New Zealand and Australia, which are tiny islands with small, uh, far smaller populations. We never did really what they did. And we certainly never did it on a nationwide scale. And, David, it's because we would have rejected it. No, no people wouldn't have said, yeah, sure. I'm going to stay in my apartment. I'm going to stay in my home for 30 or 60 days on pain of imprisonment. I don't, I don't think that would have flown here. No, I think initially when we were unsure of what was going on, it, it, people were, were scared for good reasons and they didn't know what was happening and they were willing to abide by rules like that. On, you know, uh, yeah, look, I did. I, I was an ad. I was all in favor of don't, don't interrupt you, David, but two weeks to let hospitals get ready for this thing. And I was like, okay, we can we can do that for two weeks. And that was that seemed reasonable. But what happened after that, as we know, right. was very different. I, I was, too. I was, too. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, I didn't know. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a medical expert. I don't know how to deal with this, but I am not also, you know, I'm not blind. Right. And after a year now, almost I see the results and I can look at other countries and I can see how it's worked and hasn't worked. And I can see which states are, are doing well and which states aren't doing well. And you can compare New York and Florida and how they reacted to it. Now, obviously, the, there's weather differences, there's there's societal differences, but in the end, Florida has been better in every single quantifiable measure than New York, um, and they were far more permissive than New York, and they were and and they dealt with it better than New York. Now, I, I think that we should take lessons from that, but everything's been so politicized now, and there's no way back for a lot of people. They have to pretend. That, you know, simple that mask wearing is some panacea. They have to pretend that we have to, you know, that we can never move forward again. I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous to civil liberties and it's dangerous to to actual science if you are a natural skeptic like I am. And I think that that's what people need to be when they're told stuff. Doesn't mean that they need to, um, you know, not believe the experts, but it needs to be there need to be questions and those questions need to be answered. And that hasn't happened. We have Fauci lying to us on multiple occasions, as we've discussed, and others as well. And now we have Biden, who lied to us through the entire campaign, saying he could change the trajectory, saying he could save us from the darkness or whatever, you know, over-the-top language he used. And none of that's true. None of that's true. It didn't matter if it was Biden or, or Trump, frankly. And uh, we're speaking to David, David you know, Harsani. He's a senior writer at National Review. You can read his latest at nationalreview.com. You brought up uh, natural skepticism, and, and I just think it's it's— it's troubling to watch how not only I think the media has always pretended, right? There, there's there are tensions with speaking truth to power. Well, it turns out if you actually want to advance your career in the media, a lot of the time you want to be a handmaiden of power. I mean, you, you know, you want to be close to the people that give you the interviews and give you the access. And that's a huge problem with political journalism. It has been for a very long time. I think people might be more aware of it now, at least those with open eyes than they were before. But just in general, the, the lack of skepticism from the press over over covid. And when it comes to experts, I mean, I, I sit around and 
I, I would be willing to have a debate with anybody about Fauci's mask pronouncements. Not I don't, I'm not sitting around pretending like I understand the aerodynamics of virology through masks and whatever. But I know when someone says something that's B.S., I know when someone lies to you or goes back on that, I do know as well as any scientist, any doctor, like they don't have some special uh, ability to to sift through that. In fact, I think I'm better at it than they are. And, you know, Fauci last week, it was two masks. And I know people say this is a small thing, but I don't think it's a small thing. It's two masks is clearly more effective. And then Osterholm comes out and says, well, actually, two masks are less effective than having just one mask. And then Fauci says, well, there's no data for two masks. So I guess maybe we can't say that. And now he's saying, well, there's no harm in two masks and there's some data and we'll look at more data. I mean, the guy's just he's just making it up as he goes along. That's obvious. And this is in the last week. That's one of the problems, just the more broadly speaking about, you know, follow the science. We will let science guide us. Two problems with that. First of all, there's no such thing. Science is constantly being challenged and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not some, you know, solid, immovable object. But B, I don't want to follow the science quite often because there are a million other trade-offs I have to think about. Sure, we could lock each other, we could lock down like the bubble boy, each of us, and never give a disease to anyone else. And we could all live happily ever after until we die of uh, lack of exercise or whatever it is. And, but but the, the, the fact is there are a million other things we need to think about. Fauci is not a constitutional scholar. What he says about uh, getting together in religious for religious services means zero to me because he has no say in that, even if there is a disease. And we had the Hong Kong flu, and I just happened to read something, and they mentioned the Hong Kong flu. I think it was like 69 or something like that. 100,000 or more people died. We don't really even know. And it was not not even really that big an issue in the sense of, uh, you know, coverage, because this must have happened quite often. But not a single person ever thought that they would just be able to just give dictatorial powers, at least not from what I can tell, to governors to shut down the entire country. This is a completely new thing. And paired up with the illiberalism of many people on the left, it's become somewhat of a scary thing to me because they are taking power and no one pushes back. The only people who occasionally stop them are the courts. And the people, frankly, don't even seem to care very much in most places. So that, that I think, bodes poorly for our future in many ways for the person. And I right. think we're having a moment here where we can where there's a, there's a, a bit of an opening, David, because there's this recall effort against Gavin Newsom in California. There's this New York Times piece on nine senior health experts fleeing Governor Cuomo. People, you know, it was really the states. The states have police power and they do have, uh, you know, essentially public health power. Right. The states in this country, that's those are realms of particular authority for them, even more so than the federal government. And the, the, the results that you see from the states that took the most extreme positions are abysmal. And, and there's no arguing about this now. When you brought up Florida, I keep telling people because I'll get, you know, smug people on social media. Well, actually, if you look at, you know, this this 30 day window or that 60 day period, you know, New York was five percent lower for cases. Florida, I'm looking at them saying Florida is open. New York is shut down. People don't have people have lost thousands and thousands of businesses. Their lives are ruined. And, and you're going to talk to me about a two or three percent temporary case reduction of, of, of something that I mean, it's just like no one thinks anymore, David. They're just we're like we've become a country of sheep. Yeah, this is what like Krugman, Paul Krugman and others do. They'll pick a spot on the graph that works for them and then they'll ignore all the other times and spots, especially when it comes to places like Florida and Texas. 
Listen, in the end, New York has a 12% of their nursing home population died because of COVID. In Florida, which has a much bigger elderly population and is has more people in general, I think two more million more people than New York now, had a under 2% fatality rate. That is not some small discrepancy. That's huge. It's 10%. And, um, you know, in every way, Florida handled it better. But people will say, look at this, you know, South Dakota is doing so poorly now. They haven't listened. But then you see a spike in New York and then they don't say anything. It's clear to me that, th that every time people pop out of their houses and want to get back into life, it spreads again. I hope the vaccine helps us, uh, uh, you know, alleviate this and that we can move forward. But we need to move forward no matter what happens in the end. I, you know, I often say certain populations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I often say that hypocrisy is a is a defining or a, a foundational characteristic of being a Democrat in, in America today. But I would just add one on to this. I, I wanted your your sense or your your reaction to this. I do also think that there is a a kind of political cultural intellectual arrogance that comes along with being a, like they this is with the whole oh I believe science thing that people who don't read anything never mind scientific journals who, who really are are deeply ignorant but you know they they kind of they they checked the, a few boxes on went to a certain kind of school or something they really do believe that they're smarter and then all these people Joe Biden the people around him are so much smarter it's just not true yeah you know I, uh, you know, I've been uh, in journalism for a while, and when you start out, you know, you're 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 in awe of certain people. You you know, you think about certain institutions in a way, uh, you, you admire them, whatever it is, and then you're in them, and you're like, man, these people aren't as smart as I thought, right? <laughs> these people are no smarter than me, most of them, and that's, you know, now we're, you know, we're we're in the middle somewhere of the intellectual spectrum, right? So. Um, and then Twitter comes around and then you realize, oh, my God, a lot of people who run things are just idiots. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm not calling him an idiot exactly. But Andy Slavitt, who is now like the senior advisor on COVID, has tweets out saying that Cuomo what, had handled COVID better than anyone in the country, that he is basically a genius, that he never took credit, that he that, he, you know, he did everything correct. And now you're like their fatality rate is second highest to New Jersey in the country. Everything is terrible. And he does not pay a price for that or anything. He is, in fact, rewarded for that. So I don't know how we can keep going this way when everyone, no one trusts institutions like journalism, which is completely corrupt these days, frankly. And, uh, and you know, I don't know how you go forward, but what Twitter has done and what social media has done is shown us that these people are not any smarter than an average person. Maybe they have different expertise, et cetera. But as far as just living life and common sense and going about their daily business, these people live in the clouds off them and they have all the power. And one last thing on this, you know, I often argue with folks who think that big tech is the main problem and big businesses. And I completely sympathize with many of their, uh, you know, their their thoughts. But they don't have guns. They don't have laws. They it's very difficult for them to put you out of business, to shut you down, to keep you at home, to not let you go worship. Government can still do all those things. And they did during COVID. And there was no pushback. And they, and they did whatever they wanted. And that, should, that, that, again, to me, is something that I'm really nervous about moving forward. Because as you say, they talk now like this is a forever problem. Like 10 years from now, it's not going to be normal. My kids are going to have to wear double masks just to go outside. I mean, I don't want that kind of world. You've mentioned it before. It's dehumanizing. But it's also an infringement on, on people's individual rights. So I'm a little worried about that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we, see. I think there is a backlash coming because of Biden's sort of, 
you know, ruling by fiat and pen. Yeah. And also people, people are realizing Joe like Biden, no surprise to anybody who is smart. Joe Biden's not that smart, folks. OK, he's actually he's actually Come not on, smarter Biden than Trump. I know we were all told that it's it's not true. You know, so we'll, we'll get to that Joe another Biden, day. Everyone talks about Joe Biden as like he's some old man who's lost his bearings. And he has to some extent. Don't get me wrong. He's incoherent quite often. But he's been this way. I'm an old, you know, I'm 51 years old now, and I've seen him for a long time, and he's never been coherent, right? And he's always been kind of a goofball, and it's hard to believe he's actually president. Now, obviously, you know, Trump made a lot of mistakes, et cetera, but uh, th- these were not, and you say buyer's remorse, but yeah, you know, that may, that that kind of buyer's remorse really shows itself in midterms. So that's what, you know. Yeah, I, that's where we got to focus. That's where we got to focus. We got to stop these Democrats from being yeah. crazy. Nationalview.com for David Harsanyi's latest. David, as always, thank you, sir. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Please follow me, especially in this era of social media lockdown and nonsense that's going on. Follow me at BuckSexton.com. Go to the website and give me your email I've got a piece up there right now. Don't ever forget that lockdowns failed. It's on BuckSexton.com. It'll ask for your email. We're going to build a Team Buck email list. I need you all across the country so I can reach you directly to just tell me it's just going to be for our email list for our purposes. So please go to BuckSexton.com. Give me your email so I can create that newsletter for you. So if we do get shut down on Facebook or Twitter, we still have a means of contacting you out there. And uh, BuckSexton.com. Check it out. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let's hear from one of our uh, frontline patriots out there, Sean Parnell. He is a buddy of mine, as you all know, best-selling author of Outlaw Platoon, former Army Ranger, and was a congressional candidate this last cycle out in Pennsylvania. And he joins us now. Sean, um, it feels a bit, my friend, like we, we are entering a period where Democrats hysteria is going to be the defining characteristic of the American political conversation. What do you think's going on here as DC's surrounded with, you know, razor wire and national guard troops and all this other stuff that's still continuing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I think that, you know, the Capitol attack is, 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 I say attack, but, you know, or the insurrection, right, or the terms that the media is using to describe it is being leveraged to to do all of these things. I think it's unacceptable. I think the capital, the freest country on the face of the planet should indeed be free. Right. So I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. And I mean, just like I think it's pretty clear now, like with the pandemic, that it was also leveraged for political reasons. That doesn't mean that we should be throwing caution to the wind. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be being careful. But clearly the Democrats used it to leverage some sort of political benefit from it as it as it pertains to the election, Uh, whether it's changing election law or allowing people to mail in ballots with no signatures or uh, no deadlines or whatever, you know, so I, I mean, I was just talking about this today uh, with somebody else that we just I feel like we are living at a very precarious and dangerous time. I mean, do, do you feel like that as well? Like, I feel like we are. It feels like things are just like a powder keg. Absolutely. You know? I think that we're the closest we're the closest that we have been in my lifetime 
to a a real authoritarianism in this country. Yes, um, I totally agree. And 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 I'm not I I never said this under you know yeah I thought that there were some socialist policies under Obama that I didn't like and I, I thought that a lot of the stuff that he was doing look I opposed uh, Obama's uh, policy agenda. There's no question, but this is something different now where. I mean, the Internet is being leveraged to crush dissent in ways that would have been unthinkable, even unthinkable, uh, even a few years ago. And you've got people I mean, I've been talking about this. You've got people writing editorials about how you have to treat, you know, the the Trump insurrectionists like Al Qaeda. I'm sitting here and I'm saying, okay. I mean, you and I have both condemned the riot and the riot was it was dumb. It was illegal. And people people broke the law should be held to account the law. But. We shouldn't be droning people either who you know showed up to <laughs> yeah. protest in D.C. A lot of people were there. And and even if they were on the Capitol grounds, generally speaking, they didn't necessarily go in or break the law. So, you know, where are they they're, drawing they're, these lines? They're and, using facial they're using facial recognition Buck, to to the FBI is using facial recognition to identify people who were at the, the rally. Maybe not even at the at the at the Capitol riots, but at the rally. And then sending agents to their house to question them. I mean, we had a state, a former state representative there uh, who was down at the Capitol. The FBI had breakfast with him the other day. The FBI showed up at his house, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, you're looking and we, we're like with big tech colluding with the Democrats, colluding with the media, making things in questions like election integrity. Right. For example, a, a thought crime. Everybody should want to should want to have a dialogue in this country in the wake of of every election to figure out how we can make elections freer and fairer but in in the united states of america today you can't have that conversation without being full up canceled and in in the way that the the democrats describe it right if and 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 indeed the way that they're they're even teaching our kids in colleges is if, if words are violence then the mere discussion of election integrity, you know, could incite violence. Those very words could incite violence. And that's sort of just the prism that the left uses to view everything in, in today's day and age. But I mean, I think and I know I think you would agree with me that the founders in, always intended uh, for us to have a robust and sometimes contentious debate about things like our elections in this country. But what the left has done with the help of big tech and some uh, some in the mainstream media is shut down conversation. Uh, and they're doing that because they believe it will benefit them politically, just like, you know, they they're, they leverage the pandemic in certain ways because they thought it would benefit them at the ballot box, just like they're leveraging the, the capital riots to to take away our freedoms in certain ways. But I, I yes, this I, I believe that we are living at a very precarious time. And, and you, you know me, Buck. I'm not a particularly like I, I, I'm not, I don't. Yeah, just for everyone listening, Sean, Sean is the guy you want in your foxhole, literally and figuratively. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I, I'm not I'm not one that's constantly throwing, you know, bombs out there, uh, political jabs at people. But I feel like we are living in a very precarious time. It feels like freedom is slipping through our very fingertips. And and, and, and what 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 concerns me the most is I've, I've, I've been finding myself being jealous of folks who are older than me, right? <laughs> like 60, 70 years old. I'm like, oh, my God, you got to live in the greatest country on the face of the planet. 
for 70 years. You know, the America that, that I grew up in is the America that I love, but I feel like America is fundamentally changing. And this isn't just me being paranoid. Look at look Senator like Bob Casey in the state of Pennsylvania is a so so-called moderate Democrat, right? He's saying, hey, we got to go big or go home. We've got a majority in all three branches of government. Uh, it's time to enact transformative change. So the feeling that America is fundamentally changing from the America that, that we knew growing up is not me being paranoid. It's a reality because the Democrats are making it so. So I, I'm and, and I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about that. And Sean, I, I would add to this that I, I really have I have this feeling and it's it's been something that I've spent a lot of time uh, on my own just just thinking through that the, the Democrats have convinced themselves of something. And, and I, I believe that this is the uh, a dominant belief in the Democrat Party. That doesn't mean everyone believes it, but this is, you know, if they were holding like a, a referendum tomorrow, I think that most of the Democrat Party would sign on for this or say that they're part of this. And that is they think that not only is it possible for them to once and for all crush their political opponents so that effectively the Republican Party is like a a vestige of its former self and and you have one party rule. And that's what these moves. not only do they think that it's possible to do that right now, but they've also created a narrative where where it's a moral imperative, where it is necessary in their eyes for them to do that, to crush once and for all their political opponents because of the clear and present danger they pose to the country. So it's these That's two- exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, look, look, look you're 100 percent correct on this. And again, this isn't something that, you know, Buck Sexton and Sean Parnell are dreaming up on the show and and being paranoid about. They've said it. Like, do you think that when Democrats or the radical left calls even moderate members of the Republican Party Nazis in Hitler. It's not because they're trying to insult them. It's because they actually believe that Republicans are Nazis. And therefore, that belief justifies these actions as the moral imperative that you just talked about. Well, of course we should. Of course we should deprogram them. Again, not a word that I chose to use. This is words that mainstream Democrats are using on on our television sets every night. Well, of course we have to deprogram these Nazis to think differently, right? And so, yes, this does concern me. When when you have the chief law enforcement officer of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, talking about a congressman in central Pennsylvania, Scott Perry, about about him being familiar with 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 getting familiar with, with what it means to be a seditionist or or committing treason for simply asking for an audit of the election in Pennsylvania, we have serious problems here, right? We're speaking to Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger and best-selling author, uh, Outlaw Platoon, great book, highly recommend. And Sean, what are your uh, what are your uh, your fiction uh, your fiction exploits are also spreading far and wide now? What's the book called? Oh man, so I've got I've got three fiction books out. My newest book is called One True Patriot, uh, and all the things like I've, I haven't released the title of my fourth fiction book yet. Um, but they're basically a sort of mix of Tom Clancy and Brad Thor political type thrillers. Um, and basically I talk about the threats of tomorrow today. So that the book that I just, I just finished and turned into my publisher is all about China and, and the threat that China poses geopolitically, uh, not just to, to our country, but to the world and the things that are playing out right now with like the coup in, in Myanmar and, and China's relationship with, with Taiwan. It's like, uh, it's all in the book like i was i was half half laughing to myself 
that, my gosh, it's like I just wrote about this stuff. So, Sean, I just taking us back, and everyone should check out Sean's books, by the way. Highly recommend. Uh, Sean, taking us back, though, to the difference in, in, per, in perception at this point. I remember what it was like in the first months after Trump took power, and the left was in all kinds of hysterics, but the things that 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 the Trump voters and the people that were happy about Trump's ascension were talking about were things like, you know, a better trade deal for all Americans and uh, really good, un, you know, really low unemployment numbers and and a, and a booming economy and not not starting any unnecessary foreign wars. And I mean, look at all this stuff. And that was then. And now the Democrats have come into power and it's. Use social media and all public and private pressure possible to shut up, punish and destroy uh, Republicans, Trump supporters, anybody who had any hand in the previous administration. And uh, it just feels like, you know, we're, so we're now the we're the enemy where there, there wasn't this feeling of, oh, Democrats who voted against Trump are the enemy. It was all right. We know Trump's in power. He's got a mandate. This is, you know, 2017. It was let's go. Let's do some things for the country. Democrat, there's a very broad, I mean, they're talking about it all the time about how we can't move forward as a country until there's a count. I mean, they're impeaching the, the friggin' president again. I mean, what, what better example could you have than that? Yeah, I know. Instead of focusing on COVID relief, which they made a major campaign issue towards the tail end of the presidential campaign and in Georgia, uh, making COVID relief in those $2,000 checks was going to be their first order of business. Well, of course, that's not true. The moment that they control all three branches of government, the, the, the first thing that they do is leverage their political power to to go after their political enemies, as, a, as, as you know, to use that term that they use, I mean, by impeaching the president. Yeah, it's 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 very concerning. It's, 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 it's just very concerning. And so, you know, my hope is, is that in two years, uh, the American people will have seen, uh, the radical left for what they are. Uh, and, and what, what you think about like the policies that Trump, you know, border security, right? Most Americans agree with that. Democrats and Republicans in Western Pennsylvania want secure borders. Democrats and Republicans and Western Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania in general, they they don't want our kids in Afghanistan for 20 years. Democrats and Republicans want better trade deals with China. So what does it say? I mean, God, it took what, a week for this country with the Democrats controlling all three branches of government to go back to the old ways of doing everything, to outsourcing our jobs to China, to what the, the news that just broke today that Joe Biden's keeping troops in Afghanistan because of. Uh, a rise in political assassinations. Well, like that's I'm sorry to say that's Afghanistan. And if that's your logic, as you approach the complex nature of that war, then there will never be a time where we bring our men and women home from that war. But we're, we've just gone back to putting the American people second and the needs of this country second. And, and that is ultimately what's the, the most concerning to me, in addition to obviously our freedom, sort of uh, our, our freedom. I feel like we're, every day is slipping away. Yeah. And, and I, I so, think that we're, I think people have had this belief that they're just going to give it, they're going to give back power to the people and let us live our lives under the Biden administration. Just give it some time. Absolutely not true. It's not yeah, true. I, yeah. It's not, it's not true. And so my hope is like, so what do we do from here? There are municipal local and municipal elections from the school board on up in every state in this country, conservatives, Republicans, independents who are concerned can't afford to cede those any longer. 
because I guarantee you, having run a, a race myself, the Democrats, they don't have an off season, Buck. They're constantly organizing. They're good at it. And they fight in these municipal elections. So having your kids back in school is something that is important to you. And, in, and the science shows us that our kids can't go back to school and go back to school safely. Right. If that's important to you, run for your school board, organize, knock on doors. Every race matters. And I think through throughout this pandemic, we've seen how important local school boards are. Or local races, they all they all matter, you know. So get involved now, and then hope is what you know. Twenty twenty two Republicans and conservatives in general are on better terrain politically to take back you know the House and the Senate, and and put ourselves on good footing for for a strong run at president in twenty twenty four. Amen to all that, Sean Parnell. Everybody, go check out his latest. You go on uh, Amazon wherever you get books. Just type in Sean Parnell. You'll see. Uh, I would you know Outlaw Platoon is my favorite, but you can pick uh, from the fiction ones too. And Sean, thanks so much, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Buck. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Florida also led and continues to lead on protecting the livelihoods of our people. While so many other states kept locking people down, Florida lifted people up. We believe every job is essential. If you work in a restaurant, we have your back. If you are a hairstylist, we protect your right to earn a living. And if you are a parent, we ensure your kids have the right to attend school in person. Lockdowns do not work. School closures have been disastrous. Yet even today, we see across our country businesses shuttered, lives ruined, and schools closed. Indeed, in major parts of the country, students might not return to in-person instruction until the fall. Florida schools are open. Every Floridian has a right to work. All businesses have a right to operate. And Florida is better for it. Ron DeSantis speaking truth. And let's all speak the truth about him. This guy has been a hero during this pandemic. All right. He has shown, I mean, thank God for Ron DeSantis. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be able to, we wouldn't even be able to compare because all these other states, they bowed to the political pressure. They all fell in line. Ron DeSantis will just come out and say, no, lockdowns do not work. This is the governor of the third largest state in America. And he's got the data. He's got the numbers to back it up. And he's straight up telling you, what have I been saying to you for months? Lockdowns do not work. This is madness. And thank heavens Ron DeSantis is out there, you know, because we've run the experiment. Do you want to be California or do you want to be Florida in the last 12 months? That's an easy question to answer for anyone who's living in reality. So hats off, high five, Ron DeSantis getting it done. I think Ron DeSantis 2024 is looking pretty darn good. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Ten ways to fight back against woke culture. This is from Barry Weiss, who is a liberal, but who understands that wokeness and the politics of the left uh, have become completely insane. And I, I believe she was at the New York Times and then had to leave because there was no longer any appetite for opposing points of view 
on an op-ed page. This, this is the country we live in now. This is new. This is a different thing. It did not used to be this way. I mean, I remember when Twitter and Facebook were like the Wild West. I mean, people were posting all kinds of stuff, and that was just, that was just the way it was. Now, if you say something that is, is offensive to a certain group, group of people, you can get banned. And I, I don't even mean offensive on, you know, religious or racial or, or gender grounds. If you there was a time when if you told a journalist learn to code on Twitter, you could get you could get suspended from Twitter. I mean, this is crazy. You can't say mean things to hurt their feelings because a bunch of them are getting fired. And a bunch of them are getting fired, by the way, because journalism is broken in this country in part because people don't actually do the jobs they say they're doing. But That's a whole other conversation. But Barry Weiss here in The New York Post, 10 ways to fight back against the wool culture. Let's let's spend a little bit of time going through this because I'm always, you're always asking me, Buck, how do we fight back? And I say, listen to this show, support this show, go to my sponsors, spread the word. Other conservatives, too. You know, I, I care about the movement. Yeah, I think I do the best show out there, but I also understand that I want other people in conservative media to be successful and have a voice. And, you know, I'm not going around the pool dunking the other kids underwater. I think there's plenty of water for us all. I want a bigger pool for all of us to swim in. I take a different approach. And certain other folks out there have been in the game a little bit longer who are, uh, shall we say, infighters instead of trying to mobilize the movement. But anyway, uh, New York Post here. Barry Weiss writing about this, and and I I want to go through some of these steps that she outlines. Number one, remind yourself right now of the following truth. You are free. It's true we live in an upside-down time in which pressing the like button on the wrong thing can bring untold consequences, but giving in to those who seek to confine you only hurts you in the long run. Your loss of self is the most significant thing that can be taken away from you. Don't give it up for anything. So this is, her first thing here is, it's just the affirmation of you are a free person. And it doesn't always feel that way right now. But remind yourself of this. You are a free person. You are an American. You have, uh, you have rights. You have dignity. You, you begin this, of course, with the freedom of conscience and, and of expression. Now, that doesn't mean that you can do all this and assume everything's going to be okay. But just start. Remind yourself of that premise. Others do not control you. They do not have a right to control you. You are a free person. All right. Number two, be honest. Do not say anything about yourself or others that you know is false. Absolutely refuse to let your mind be colonized. The first crazy thing someone asks you to believe or to profess, refuse. If you can do so out loud, there is a good chance it will do others to speak up too. Now, this is another, I, I, I very much approve of this, a very helpful step in all of this. Someone says something like, um, there are 37 genders, or maybe it's 50, or maybe it's 80, or who knows. You say no. There are not 37 genders. We, they can keep repeating this, they can keep telling us this, they can keep saying that gender is a spectrum, and there's no... This is a matter of fact, a matter of biology. There are two genders, male and female. End of story. End of story. That's it. Now, they're going to try to make you bend the knee on that. And as I've said, this is a tactic because it, to get you to say two plus two, the left wants you to say two plus two equals five. Because if something that you know that is so clear and so demonstrably uh, you know, false 
can become something you sign on to. If they can make you say two plus two equals five, they can make you say anything. There's no truth that you that you won't uh, reject. There, there's no lie that you won't be a part of. Right. That's why the most straightforward lies now. That's the the real compliance. The real bending of the knee comes in where you have to say things that are it's not just that you believe them to be untrue. You know, at your core, in your at the very base of your mind, you know, it's not true. They want you to negate that. They want to overcome that mechanism of the basic uh, the, the basic observation of what is true and what is false. Number three, stick to your principles. If you are a decent person, you know, mob justice is never just. So never join a mob. Uh, if you're a decent person, you know, betraying friends is wrong. So if a friend or a colleague does something you disagree with, write them a private note. Don't be a snitch. Any mob that comes for them will come for you. Amen to this. Again, she's she's right here. OK, she's right. And this is why I always say to you, even though there are people that work in my business that I disagree with sometimes, if I've got a real problem with them, I do it privately. I, I, I will text them. I will call them. I'll say, hey, I really think that this thing, you know, just, you know, friend to friend here. And that doesn't they don't always agree. Sometimes they get their you know, they get their back up against the wall a little bit and they can be a little nasty. But we do it in private. I do not attack my friends. I do not attack uh, my colleagues. Um, and, and that includes Democrats I've worked with in the past or presently. You know, you will never hear me say I, I crystal ball worked with me at the Hill. You will never hear me say a public word of criticism about Crystal because she's a friend and we work together. And there's there's a bond, there's there's a bond, a professional bond at a minimum there that that I respect and that I, I don't go against that. Um, I, I currently do a podcast once a week, as you know, just kind of a conversation once a week uh, called What Do You Really Think? And I do it with 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 Mark Lamont Hill. And he's a, he used to be on O'Reilly's show all the time when O'Reilly was on Fox. Now O'Reilly's, of course, on the first where I have a show. But uh, when O'Reilly was on Fox, Mark Lamont Hill was a frequent Democrat guest. And Mark and I disagreed on a lot of things. But I will never go against Mark publicly or personally um, and or personally because we work together and we, we have, a, you know, we have that relationship. And I respect that. I respect my friendships. I respect my alliances. I respect my colleagues. Um. And that should be everyone's approach to this stuff all the time. Now, you know, I, I try not to get personal with other people who aren't my friends. I don't know. I don't always succeed. And sometimes people deserve to get a little bit of a, a little bit of a public slap on some thir- uh, on some things. But your honor is one thing that no one can take from you. You can only give it away. You know, honor is something you hold on to yourself. You know, are, are you that person who when someone says something in the break room at the office and, and you know that they didn't they don't really they didn't mean it in the way that maybe it sounded or they're blowing off some steam or something. Are you that person that that, that decides you're going to go you're going to go tattle on them and maybe get them fired or get them some reprimand from HR or because, you know, the person, you know, their intent, you, you give them the benefit of the doubt, you let it go. We all have I'm not even talking about your friends. I'm just talking to people you work with. You know, we, we all make these decisions all the time. What's the honorable thing to do? What's the decent thing to do? And stick to your principles. It's essential in these times because they really they want you to the left wants you to say what is untrue and they want you to abandon your principles 
One of their principles, of course, being speak only the truth. But these are all mechanisms of their control, and as, as Barry Weiss puts it, their colonization of your mind. Um, number four, set an example for your kids and your community. That, that means being courageous. I understand that it's hard, really hard, she writes. But in other times and places, including in our own nation, people have made far greater sacrifices. If enough people make the leap, we'll achieve something like herd immunity. Jump. This is, I mean, I'm angry about what's happened with the pandemic because there's a lot of cowardice out there. Now, if, if you're a, a, sen- uh, a senior who's at risk, <clears throat> if you're somebody, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be very cautious and everything else. I'm talking about younger people who know that what's going on here is above and beyond what should be allowed in a free society to deal with this pandemic. And they won't say anything and people won't speak out and they won't do anything. That's cowardice. And we've become, I think, a a cowardly society in many ways. Um, A a lot of people in this country have embraced a a kind of cowardice because it's just so much easier. Just go go along with what the crowd wants. Uh, Go along with what's going to get you more likes on social media and what's going to be easiest for you. Um, That's that's a very that's that's a recipe for the decline of this country that I think has already been happening. Uh, so set an example and that that can be hard. That can become uh, a liability for you. That's the truth. I mean, you, you are vulnerable by setting an example because people want to destroy you for setting that example. Um, number five, she writes here, if you don't like it, leave it. A class in college, a job, anything. Get out and do your own thing. I fully understand the impulse to want to change things from within. And by all means, try as hard as you can. But if the leopard is currently eating the face of the person at the cubicle next to yours, I promise it's not going to refrain from eating yours if you post the black square on Instagram. Um, that leopard eating the face thing. I don't know. Producer Mark, you ever heard that phrase before? I have not. It seems a little strange. Leopard eating the face. That's very uh, It's very visceral. Doesn't sound That's... like a way I want to spend my time. No, not, not how I'd want to go out. Uh, but it's... It's true. I mean, I've written on 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 the woke mob in the past and how I think one part of this that everyone needs to needs to remember is that it's not just about people who are public figures. It's not just about uh, people who are in the public eye. You can be a target of the woke mob just for for walking your dog. You can be a target of the woke mob because you're in some kind of a traffic dispute or something and someone pulls out a camera and they say you said something you didn't say. And now you go viral and now your life is ruined, right? I mean, this could happen to literally anybody. And we, we need to be aware of that. But but her point about how if you don't like something, you've got to take action. Or I, I completely agree with that. Um, I completely agree. And I think that she's this is a very good, uh, you know, a very good place to, to start this. These 10 uh, these 10 ways to fight back against woke culture. In fact, let me let me take a, a just a moment here. We'll come back. We'll finish off. We got through five. We'll get through the next five. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing with 10 ways to fight back against woke culture in the New York Post by Barry Weiss, a columnist. Used to be the New York Times, had to leave because the New York Times is so insane. And here we go. Number six, become more self-reliant, she writes. If you can learn to use a power drill, do it. 
If you've always wanted an outdoor solar hot tub, make one. Learn to poach an egg or shoot a gun. Most importantly, get it in your head that platforms are not neutral. If you don't believe me, look at Parler and look at Robinhood. To the extent you can build your life to be self-reliant and not 100% reliant on the web, it's a good thing. It will make you feel competent and powerful, which you are. You know, I've often, I've actually said this. I've told the Snow Princess this, uh, who was who a real human being named Deborah, uh, who's my girlfriend. Uh, I, I've, I've told her this before, that one of the things that I find most appealing in others, including uh, a romantic partner, so girlfriend, um, but just in general, one of the things I think is is needs to be revalued an elevated value is just life competency. I am so much better now at so many things in life than I was even 15 years ago, let's say. Um, I I'm better at cooking. I'm better at cleaning. I'm better at at building. I mean, I you know, my family even laughs sometimes. I mean, I, I've. I've gotten pretty good at like putting together furniture. I mean, I've become that guy. I used to be, I used to throw my hands up at these things and I would just sit on the box instead of actually making the chair. Right. I mean, you know, I I was not. And then, then as I got older, I realized, no, you really, you have to engage. Competency is its own currency. Get good at as much stuff as you can, as you can. I mean, I watched this guy on TikTok. I'm actually forgetting his name right now. But I mean, he kind of he, he looks like the ultimate outdoorsman and all he does, he crafts all these uh, these things out of wood or he'll show you how to make a fire. He'll show you how to make a spoon out of a piece of wood. He'll show you how to make a tomahawk out of a rock and a stick. I mean, and it's amazing watching this guy do stuff. And, you know, that's a level beyond Ryan with all these things. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm just uh, you know, I'm 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 a I'm competent at, at urban existence. I want to become more competent at general existence. You know, it just at stuff that's out there and and uh, it's empowering. It's empowering to be good at stuff. And all this social media thing, all these social media things, they have a place, but they've become, especially during the pandemic, way too much of a focus. So her become more self-reliant life competency is appealing to others and it's appealing to you. It builds self-worth. Things that, you know, aren't being elevated right now, you know, are, are it's all across the board. These are things that people should be uh, should be trying to achieve, teaching themselves more about, you know, I mean, I really mean this. Somebody who can actually build a chair out of wood. That's impressive to me. Somebody who can snark on social media and act like a, act like a jackass and get a whole bunch of likes. Not impressed. Somebody who plays the system in Hollywood and, you know, gets the right role at the right time and is supposed to be famous. You know, it's part luck, part being conniving. Learn stuff that matters, that's that's building, that's constructive, that's creative. And I know a lot of you out there are way ahead of, of where I am on this stuff. But for others, I'm just trying to encourage you because I've made this a real goal. You know, I can cook now. I'm a pretty damn good cook. Uh, I can cook now. I, I was hopeless in the kitchen in my 20s. Now I'm in my late 30s and I can I can really get it done in the kitchen. Um, I've taught myself a lot about about edged weapons and edged tools over the years. You know, these are other things I just anyway. Uh, seven, worship God more than Yale. In other words, don't lose sight of what is essential. I don't think you need me to uh, expand upon this one. A lot of you have 
very strong relationships with God, but that should be, I know we've been cut off from our religious communities during this pandemic, but doesn't this all remind us all that, that, that what's really important, what's not? She writes here, quote, being popular is not essential. Professional prestige is not essential. Getting your child into elite school is not essential. Doing the right thing, telling the truth, protecting your kid. That's essential. Amen. Eight, make like-minded friends, then stand up for them. Are they willing to tell the truth even if it hurts their own side? And do they think that humor should never be a casualty? These people are rare when you find them. Hold on tight. I hope you consider me to be a friend of yours, all of you across the country. I tell the truth and I won't let humor be a casualty. So I'm at least one friend you have who will do those things. I, I certainly I hope you all feel that way. Nine, trust your own eyes and ears. Rely on firsthand information from people you trust rather than on media spin. When you, when you hear someone making generalizations about a group of people, imagine they're talking about you and react accordingly. People that say bad things about other people all the time, people that aren't generous when they talk about other people, they're usually not generous about you when you're not around. Don't ever forget that. Um, and then 10, use your capital to build original, interesting, and generative things right now, this minute. That's right. Be additive. Be productive. Be competent. Be truthful. This is, a, this is an A-plus list from Barry Weiss in the New York Post, 10 Ways to Fight Back Against Woke Culture. And I tip my hat to her for, uh, for writing it. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Your union says that agreements were reached on some serious issues like health and safety protocols, ventilation, contact tracing, and safety committees. Um, what is outstanding? What are your concerns that remain? Well, my concerns that remain, um, the number one concern I have is that COVID is still spreading in Chicago. Many of the communities in which we teach COVID is well above uh, 10% uh, community spread. And I don't believe that we've reached um, an agreement on the question of how are vaccines going to be distributed to the people who work in the schools, uh, let alone people in those hardest hit communities. We really have not reached agreement on the question of accommodations for people like myself. I live in a multi-generational household with uh, my public school student, as well as my elderly parents. My mother has very serious health um, concerns and disabilities come so far in COVID. We see the vaccine like a light at the end of the tunnel and the idea of exposing her now to this virus is terrifying. This is a this is a, a person from the teachers union in Chicago on CNN making a, a a a very clear case that they just don't want to go back and and teach in the schools as long as there is COVID out there. They've been saying, "Oh, we have to take steps. Oh, it's about making sure we're safe and all this other stuff." As long as there's COVID out there, they're basically no, we don't want the risk. We're gonna stay. We're gonna stay home and Zoom teach. Thanks so much. I got to tell you, um, if you know, if for a lot of for a lot of people out there, especially if they're a little disaffected with teaching, you know, they've they've gotten very comfortable. They don't have to commute anymore. Think about how much uh, how many teachers have to commute to the school now. They don't have to do that. They don't want to go back. 
So so here we are. I mean, you know, I know she's giving you this. Uh, this woman's giving you this emotional appeal on CNN about, oh, but multi-generational families. Yeah, that's called life. A lot of people have that. A lot of people working in grocery stores, a lot of people that work in in different essential professions. They have those concerns as well. There are basic mitigation measures that they take and they have to go forward with life. But but the teachers unions, if you really want to understand how much they'll move the, the football, there was one district, I believe, where they got all the teachers in Chicago uh, vaccinated. And then it became, well, all the kids have to be vaccinated, too. So they they acceded initially. The the district said, we're not going to force any teachers to go back who haven't been vaccinated. But then even after they're all vaccinated, the, the, the new demand became we need uh, vaccination for uh, for students as well. Now, keep in mind, students, K through eight students are at the bottom of the risk profile. I mean, they're at basically zero risk. Think about that. I mean, if I had an eight year old, which I mean, I don't have kids yet, as you know, but if I had an eight year old, I would have no anxiety whatsoever about a covid having that eight year old in school based on the data. I've seen zero anxiety, none. I would not be worried at all. And I'm somebody who tells you the truth. You know, I, I'm encouraging. I've been encouraging my my father, who's in his 70s, to get the vaccine because I know what the risk profile is for people who are older. So I've been encouraging my dad. I said, Dad, go get the vaccine. This isn't about politics. I mean, this is about what's right. This is about making good decisions about risk and about and about how we live our lives, what precautions we take and where we've just got to let it ride and let it roll. Kids are at basically no risk. I mean, think about that. I can really say zero risk, effectively zero risk. I mean, there's like uh, there's less than uh, a dozen kids in the country have died from COVID, something like that. And, you know, it's not even if you ask people, it's not even entirely clear that it was that, you know, in some of these individual cases, it was only COVID. They may have had a pre-existing health condition people didn't know about. Right. I mean, you look at this, you say, well, hold on a second. What is this with now the teachers union saying, well, as long as there's COVID, uh, we, we don't want people to have to go back and teach. Do, do we really think that COVID is going to be eradicated entirely? That is a false promise. Anyone who's made that has not been honest with you, has not been telling you the truth. Uh, but the teachers unions increasingly, what, what you're going to see is they're going to want a blended approach. Uh, they're going to want a blended approach where you're going to have a lot of people that are going to that are going to want to do remote teaching for years to come. Years to come. Just a, just much cushier, much easier to do the job that way. Right. That's that's what we that's what we've got. Um, and and I, I think that you're going to see a lot, a lot more. of it. And then it brings me also I, I had to mention this. The L.A. Times, California's outdoor ban. This is Los Angeles, California outdoor ban on dining was controversial. Did it help slow the covid-19 surge? Uh, this piece completely set me off because they're saying that, remember, for almost two months, they had an outdoor dining ban in effect. Nothing really happened. Now cases are starting to go down as they are across the country, mind you. And they're saying that uh, that this worked. And, oh, it was a much bigger thing than it was. Sorry, it would have been a much bigger thing if we hadn't done the outdoor dining ban. This is nonsense. This is just unreasonable. Uh, that that people are putting this out there. But here you go. California's officials estimate the state's order prohibited outdoor social gatherings, closed nail, closed nail and hair salons, museums and outdoor dining, 
kept as many as 25,000 people from landing in the hospital with severe cases. And this just they're just making up a number. They have no idea. They have absolutely no idea. Um, but the bigger thing about this that I thought was so interesting is, is the case they make in this that it sends a message that even if it doesn't work, it sends a message. So when you do things to combat COVID that do not have any direct benefit, just the fact that you're doing something about COVID means that you are going to take other things that do work more seriously. Therefore, it's worth it to be mandated to do these things. So here's an example. Um, even if even if being told you have to wear a mask outside for which there is no data to support this whatsoever. OK, there's no data that there's that this is a real node of transmission that happens and that people should be. But anyway, e- even if that's the by wearing a mask outside, you're showing people that you need to take this seriously and then they'll wear a mask inside. Therefore, outdoor mask wearing is helpful to this. I say, OK, you could mandate that people have to walk around with a big sign that says COVID is real, and that's not going to stop any COVID, but it it raises awareness about COVID, which will affect other behaviors that will stop COVID. Therefore, it's a fair mandate. You see what I'm saying here? I mean, this is a a recipe for lunacy, is what this is. And it's, it's disgusting to see people making this case, but here you go. Um, and, and this is why they keep, they keep doing this. Um, and they, they, they've now found ways to justify even the most, even the most absurd, the most absurd, um, lockdown policies and the most arbitrary, arbitrary, uh, arbitrary COVID orders are justified because their very arbitrariness indicates the seriousness with which we must take COVID. Therefore, other things that do work, we will do more of. So the things that don't work, we have to continue to do. Do you see what I'm, that, that's an actual argument they make now? And this is why I get so mad about this, because the people making these arguments don't seem to understand or they do and they don't care that this is an open door to endless authoritarianism and tyranny. Doing things that don't work are worthwhile because it makes you think more about the things that do work. This is the logic now of the lockdowners. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Now, roll call. I, we gotta. We, I, I, we might retire. I know it's new, but we might have to retire this weird conga line roll call music. I didn't pick this. I kind of like so it. So I got You're into it? Yeah. What's wrong with it? I kind of. I kind of picture. You know, I picture Mark in like the conga line. You know, after a few shots of Cuervo. So maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Why not? I mean, By the I, way, I wish we could uh, do I got stuff a couple. Like I, yeah, I know, right? The good old. Do you remember when when I was at your wedding, which was a great wedding? Congrats to you and Mrs. Mark, because it was a fun wedding, as well as I know a very important day in your life. But it actually was fun with good food and very well done. Um, uh, do you remember we were like dancing around and having fun, being a little a little loopy after a couple of drinks? 
and didn't realize that we had about, what, two months left of that, like, possible in life before it wouldn't happen again for a year? Yeah, that was probably the last time we'll do that for years. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's crazy so we think about it. I had, yeah. I had no idea that was like the last time I was going to use my tux. I, I don't know. Or, or forget me just using my tux. Last time I was going to be in close proximity to other human beings without masks on, dancing and having fun for years, apparently. Anyway, so thanks. You know, You're thanks welcome. for the invite. At least at least we got one in before uh, the world ended. So there was that. If you check your phone, there's video proof of you uh, dancing. Oh, yeah, no, I know. Oh, but Buck's got the funky moves. The people, the I, people I know, know, but I don't think you've ever seen this uh, gif I made of you. So that's why I'm oh. sending it to you and trying to get your reaction live on air, but it's taking a moment to actually send. Oh, well, I'll have to let you know as soon as it comes through. I know, yeah, the winter storm, I feel like the Internet's slower, isn't it? Doesn't the, uh, the, the things in the airwaves that send the Internet or whatever are slower when it's really blanketed, yeah. uh, blanketed snowstorm? Knock on wood, Buck. We need about 10 more minutes of Internet. That's a good point. That's a fair yeah. point. And then I, oh, here, here we go. Here we go. Wait a second. Oh, man. I got, oh, my God. I got the funkiest moves. The funkiest moves. Look at that, producer Mark. I don't even know. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, getting out there, busting it out. That's pretty funny, man. I got to, <laughs> I might have to share that one on, uh, on Instagram or something. I like it. I figured it. you'd like to, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Um, so where were we on? Uh, oh, yeah. One, one other thing. Producer Mark, I was talking before about uh, like life competence. What is one thing that and I mean this in all serious one thing that if you had the time you would want to learn to do? You know what I mean? Like what's one thing like for me, if I could learn to really work with uh, work with wood to create you know, a really, I don't know, really amazing rocking chair or a table or I, I just think making stuff with your hands out of wood. And I have really no ability in that realm whatsoever. What would what would be something you'd really want to be able to do? Yeah, I, I think I'd want to be more good with my hands in terms of fixing stuff, even, you know, just when whenever we buy a house and everything, be able to fix it myself rather than call somebody. I think I'd rather be good at that. Uh, I'd also like to learn how to cook a little better. Like uh, I really want to get a smoker, a grill and learn the outdoor cooking stuff whenever I, I will say, as somebody who's upped his cooking game, as I mentioned before, a lot, I mean, not that I'm some great chef, but I'm solid. Like, I make very good food that people want to eat when I cook. Um, and, and one thing is YouTube and sort of the, you know, video, TikTok even, is a game changer for that. And the one thing I found with cooking, and this is true, I'm sure, of so many things, but you got to find something you like to eat and like making and do it a lot. Because the more you do even so, for example, like you like burgers, right? Because you're not a communist. Of course. Right. So you like burgers. You learn to make a burger one way. Do it many, many, many times so that you'll you'll notice that your 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 skills in burger making, it becomes kind of more mechanical. But you also know more of like. For you, I mean, you'll know, okay, I got, I give myself an A for this one. Or you'll go, ah, this was more of a B or a B plus time. And the, the repetition of it increases the excellence of even the same dish. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Muscle so memory. it's like, you know, because one mistake that I made was, okay, I made this. Now I'll move on and make another thing. It's like, no, make burgers every week for, you know, once a week for three or four months. I mean, really, like, get into repetition. I mean, I, I got very good at cooking uh, eggs 
because I went through a period where I basically was making myself eggs every single day, six days a week, I'd say, for months. And then you get really, then you get creative and you're, you know, you're, it's a skill like anything else and repetition is essential. So See, that's, my that's wife my is only so thing. good at it. So that's the only thing making me say, what do I need to cook for? Your, your wife's good at cooking? Yes. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the thing, right? But then you get into the whole specialization. It's like, you know, you, you got things you do. She's got things she, do, she does. Exactly. And so you sort of. Uh, I want to get good at, at the outdoor stuff. Let me throw it on a grill and let it do, do its thing. Yeah. Well, guys, guys definitely like, like the grill aspect, but. You know, you don't always look at look at it right now in New York. You don't want to be outside in this. That's for sure. So that, that is a good point. I can't. Even and then use my and then where are you on on a Punxsutawney Phil and the and the, the groundhog thing? I'm seeing some of my fellow conservatives pointing. I think Groundhog, the movie with Bill Murray, by the way, a very solid watch. And I still re- very much recommend to people. But this whole groundhog tradition, it's a little weird, isn't it? Didn't de Blasio kill the groundhog a few years ago? I don't know. I mean, I want to believe it. He definitely dropped the groundhog, and I'm pretty sure it ended up dead a week later. I want to believe it because yeah. de Blasio is the worst, and that wouldn't surprise me. Did de Blasio? I mean, we, we should Google this. Yeah. De Blasio groundhog, is that really a thing that, that he happened? He definitely dropped it. I, I know that. It's the second thing that comes up. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio dropped groundhog Chuck at the celebration at the Staten Island Zoo, the groundhog died a week later after suffering from internal injuries. He's a groundhog murderer, too? Oh, my God. Impeach him, or whatever you call it when you do it to a mayor. Oh, my God. I'm appalled. I had no idea. I actually think groundhogs are pretty cute. So, wow, good good, uh, good news recollection. I, I'm shocked you didn't know about that. That's No, I, did, I, I thought he was the worst for so many other reasons. But he also kills little furry animals by accident. Or we amazing. can say it's on purpose because we ate him. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, exactly. well I'm going to call him a murderer. I mean, of course, he's a groundhog murderer. This, this is not a question. I'm going to have to popularize this today and remind everybody of it um, because I think it's important they know just how terrible this guy is. Uh, wow, I did not really get much of the roll. We'll, we'll, we'll do a deep roll call session tomorrow. Spend a lot of time on this one uh, because, but we do have Chuck and we've got time for Chuck. He writes, Buck, you're my go-to these days alongside Rush. Keep up the great work. You were spot on about the irritating little yard gnome, your old pal in mind, Dr. Fauci. Chuck and Buck, we are simpatico on this one, my man. Thank you for writing in and I'm honored to be in, in the great Rush Limbaugh's company in terms of your uh, listening habits. And uh, with that, also, please do pass the buck. Those of you listening to this, best thing you can do for me, best thing you do to help the show, just tell one person this week, hey, if you listen to Buck Saxon, you should give this guy a shot. Check out his podcast. Until next time, Shields High.